No more defenses. Our army is wiped out. Artillery, air force, everything wiped out. This may be the last broadcast. We'll stay here to the end. Welcome to Media and the End of the World 2020. Excited to be here, Ralph. It's terrifying. This could be it. This could be it. Um, Because there's been enough circumstances that indicate we are, in fact, in the end times. That, that justifies a terrible amount of fear. What I loved was seeing all of these posts like on like day four of January 2020, people were going, we're four days in and look what we have already. Yeah. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Okay. So I want to make a prediction. You have uh, concocted a word that's going to sum up how you're going to look at this year. Okay. <laughs> and oh, oh, is your word vision? N- no. Oh. Seeing everyone's word for 2020 just happens to be vision. I don't know how they how they came up with it, but that's what what they seem. Uh, fortunate to be joined today by someone who we had on the podcast early on. In fact, on I looked this up this morning, two years and one week ago. Oh my. Uh, I think it was episode nine, but we have uh, someone who's. Can we? Is it okay? Is it safe to call him friend of the podcast? Since that's what people say. <laughs> is that true? Are you allowed to say friend of the <laughs> I pod? I think we can say that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> friend of the pod. Uh, focus on uh, bringing students into digital literacy, uh, uh, media literacy, I should say. Um, Mike, Mike, you're in Norman, Oklahoma. How's that? Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a nice little town, and uh, is that okay? I just said nice little town. I, I probably have already offended. I was Normanites. It's a nice, moderately sized town outside of a major metropolis. How about that? <laughs> as, as long as you don't mean it in the Paul Simon way. You remember the nothing but the dead and dying in my little town? Nothing but, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I was yeah. hoping you were going to say greatest 12 hours of your life, but, you know, yeah. I have high expectations. Yeah. Uh-huh. For, we got some lasagna in him last night. Awesome. Actually, I had a good story about dinner last night. So, so we sit down and Mike asks, you know, how long have you lived here? And I my life and then he immediately goes oh so you were here for the bombing and we talked about white white supremacy and, and disinformation for like love me. For, yeah. for 30 people minutes. love me yeah. at, at dinners and parties and, right yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I try to i try to do my own part in the room whenever oh, yeah, possible yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah it's just that, that, that's his that's his his first date move he's like oh you're from la so were you here during <laughs> rodney <Yeah>. king <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah But we all end up with an index of those things, right? Everywhere we've been like, oh, yeah, that happened here, and it was really horrible. Yeah. (laughs) Like my daughter, one of my daughters has just written a paper about a a serial murder in New Orleans from the 19th century. Uh, So now the next time we go to New Orleans, I'm going to be asking everybody, hey, do you know about this thing? Yeah, right. So, so. But we have happier things to talk about, I think. We'll get there. I hope. (laughs) Because one thing, I'll I'll say something about what I... Now, Maybe a follow And I should, I should probably say that I'm the outsider here because Adam and Mike are, are much closer friends. But one of the things I like about the work that, that Mike Caulfield does is it's optimistic. It's hopeful. It supports democracy. It supports participation. And it recognizes the role, the important role that people play in making the determinations of how we live. Right. I mean, isn't that kind of the. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think it's optimistic. I'm glad someone else does. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's good feedback. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it is. I think it is optimistic. I, I think that you, a lot of people, take a, a sort of viewpoint. You know that uh, you know we kind of have this modern city with modern media flows, modern information flows, and we you know we have you know this this whole idea of we have our our sort of caveman brain, cave person brain, whatever it is, and uh, in that we're hopeless lost because of that. that that's a lot of the stuff you read tends to take that tack and i don't think that that's true i think we've gone through i think we've gone through similar things before uh you know when you look at history and come through them i think these transitions are always a time of adaptation and 
that adaptation can be, uh, you know, pretty brutal uh, to, to, to be thick of. Uh, but I do think that we we come through, and we come through by adapting, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's what I think the, a lot of the, the literacy work I, I do is about. It's about how do we adapt mm-hmm. to this new world. It's it's interesting because adaptation is, in in our current iteration of it, is always trailing technology. Right? Yeah, 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 and and that's really the place where I see media literacy uh, the strongest. So uh, sometimes uh, media literacy infolit is as a replacement for. Um, regulation or a replacement for improving the technology or a replacement for, um, you know, the, the platform stepping in that at all. I think, I think there are a number of known problems, the, the shape of which is defined enough at this point that there, there can be some regulatory action, there can be some platform action, but there's always, always that sort of forward edge of disinformation, misinformation. The bad actors are always taking what they did and they're altering it in a way and they're, they're moving on ahead. And that's the gap that media literacy and info literacy really addresses, right? You're gonna be able, for the sort of, uh, the sort of known and defined threats, um, you're gonna come up with technical and social and political uh, solutions, but, you know, in that at that forward edge, you, you need something that's a little more flexible, and that's where education comes in. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> I want to talk about. I mean, you've now been re- like really focused in this world for uh, since the last election, right? I mean, it, it felt like a, mm-hmm. literally, yeah, the day before, the day after, you yeah. know, is when when this focus really started for you, and now we're coming up on this. And so, one thing I, w- I wanted to about, there's been a couple of pieces that have come out in the last week about uh, ways in which Facebook is or is not changing policy. So there was an article about how they're, you know, quote unquote, banning deep fakes, and that's mm-hmm. not going to be something that's going to allow on their platform. Yeah. Uh, there was also a recent article about how they're not going to be changing their policies towards political advertisements, and that's going to stay the same, you know, for the for the foreseeable future, at least until there's some kind of federal level regulation that that yep. you know tries to change how they're doing that as well and so my question is as we lead up into the 2020 election season do you do you foresee that things have changed enough where uh it's going to get you know better worse or stay the same as to what looks and what happened on in 2016 with, with just with specific regards to facebook with specific regards to facebook um I mean, I, I I think it's going to be as bad or or, or worse uh, personally. Um, I think it's going to be less surprising, which may feel better <laughs> as as a sort of uh, runner up prize. Um, uh, but you, you know, I, I don't. The platforms have taken various actions over the past uh, couple of years. Uh, and so it's not as if the platforms haven't acted, uh, but if you look at if you look at the way the platforms are structured, you look at what the platforms allow people to do, you look at the scale of the platforms. Uh, you know, there's some ways in which these are not solvable problems in the sort of current paradigm of you know one world Facebook um, uh, running this amount of content. Uh, through their platform Uh, in in allowing things if we look at advertisements allowing things uh, allowing uh, the targeting of ads in the way that they um, allow the ads Uh, so uh, part of the part of the a lot of the solutions they have um, you know brought up I think help mitigate it but you you do have an overall problem of what a platform is (laughs) in all of these platforms and uh, and that might I don't think that that's solvable in the near the near term. What do you on that? Um, so there's this generational shift in terms of where people are finding themselves on social media, and Facebook is very much decentered for groups that are you know I don't know where you'd think the age cutoff would be. Um, but do you see a replication of the same thing happening in other social media platforms? I mean, they're because what going to Instagram in a lot of cases is actually part of Facebook you know yeah. in terms of industry structure yeah so but of course the way that they the, they're you know they're the way that they tumble information out is quite a bit different 
So, I mean, there's a couple things there. I mean, the first thing is, um, yeah, if you look at sort of a U.S.-centric view, you, you tend to think that the Facebook age, you know, um, skews older, at least for uh, people that are at, at this uh, higher level uh, of engagement. But uh, worldwide, you, you, you see, like, there's a lot of variation in who uses Facebook uh, worldwide. And then the scale of it is such that, you know, even when we say, well, you know, older people sharing um, the, the the lion's share of misinformation on Facebook, I mean, people are on Facebook and they are doing things like, uh, you know, socializing. Um, uh, they are um, putting together, uh, you know, community groups, things like that. Um, a lot of those are run through Facebook as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, um I think uh, I think the age you can look at the demographics of something like Facebook but I think it does hide to some extent the 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 individual sort of post frequency of 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 users across different age groups hides the wide variety of ways in which people are using Facebook mm-hmm. and the way it is plugged into social architecture much more than any one person realizes. Everyone tends to look at something like Facebook and think about their experience with Facebook as just some sort of default uh, experience that's just replicated across you know, billions of people, and that's Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's more complete. Even Facebook doesn't really understand all the ways that Facebook is plugged into social you know, architecture right. and social a, a lot of, a lot of yeah. what you is yeah. sort of a product of your choices yeah yeah so. yeah well in in are you a person that engages uh with these uh with various groups or not um you know if you're you know as an example um a lot of there's a group called indivisible on facebook which does uh, uh like democratic organizing uh on facebook and their whole idea is to get people involved in more community oriented or local elections, um, you know, and, and try to increase engagement uh, in that way. And so, you know, that's that's one example. You have uh, people, um, you obviously have a lot of education groups that are on Facebook, right? So a lot of teachers, their sort of, their professional learning community is on Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's, it's partially because it's just such, such this sprawling, complex, thing that is everything and nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> that that just that just makes it such a a, a, a naughty uh issue mm-hmm. yeah. so you're not and i would take it that you're you don't think that regulatory activity necessarily the way forward or no i, I think regu- regulatory activity is mm-hmm. i mean I, I do think that facebook is too big i do think that um i don't personally uh believe that uh facebook uh, should be married uh, to uh, Instagram. Should mm-hmm. be married to uh, these other these other platforms. Uh, and I, I and that's that's partially because of the monopoly issue, but it, it's also because I think this current business plan uh, of Silicon Valley to start a company, grow it, and then the the, the exit is be bought out by Facebook, Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, or. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that's kind of a toxic business plan, you know, because it, it doesn't actually, you know, the founders of those companies don't actually build that long-term commitment to their users, right? to their members, right? They're really, they really are, whether, I mean, I'm sure they, they I'm sure, I'm sure the founders feel deep in their heart uh, that they are building that commitment. Mm-hmm. But if your exit strategy is going to be a sale to, a corporate, you know, international, you know, uh, uh, multi-billion-dollar giant. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think the economic incentives around there don't really value uh, care around the communities that mm-hmm. you develop. Yeah. What and so what's your um, uh, in another kind of angle of looking at that? Your sense about the surveillance issues that are involved in um, you know, oh, what, what goes on. No, it's a big, big thing. But uh, you know, it's I, sort of. I, I never yeah. want, as as a media literacy person, I never want people to do what they're doing out of fear, right? Yeah. Because there's, it's just such a small part. 
yeah. at the same time. You know, how do you make people, in what way can people learn to become more, um, you know, yeah. circumspect about what they're doing when they're online? Yeah, so uh, I think with the surveillance, uh, if you talk about regulation, that is, is one of the big places regulation has to has to take place. We have to we have to define what information these companies can collect on people under conditions they can store it. You know what the standard of of care is um, in storing that and protecting that information. Um, and I think that that is one area where we absolutely push that on the users. I'm not a fan of you know quit Facebook because they're surveilling you. Um, you know, I, I, you know that it's, it's, you know that that sort of, you know, we're kind of at a um, unsafe at any speed moment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with this stuff. Um, in you know, the car companies in the 1960s could say, well, you know, cars are safe, just don't buy a car. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that doesn't make any sense in a modern society. I mean, uh, you needed your car to participate. Car, you know, society was structured around the car, and so it's a necessity at that point. Um, and so once things become a necessity in that way, it, it does, I think, it can motivate uh, a higher degree of regulatory action. Users don't really have a choice. Right, users can't be really involved with their community groups, for example. Maybe users can't be involved with their professional development yeah. communities uh, by giving that up. So users don't have that choice anymore, and so the market is solved that. And so I, I do think, like surveillance, um, we've got we've got a that's that's one place where I think regulation cannot happen uh, too quickly. Um, and the one thing I would like to do is I'd like to stop sort of lazy trope of pushing it on users of, well, you know, users don't seem to mind. Users mind a lot, but they don't have a choice. Right, yeah. That's, that's it's, different. It's, it's the digital version of caveat emptor, right? Yeah, it, yeah, and, yeah. And, and caveat emptor is great if you're talking about buying a stereo system, you yeah. know, and, you know, and maybe, maybe your sound quality is going to suck, but, um, you know, caveat emptor, maybe all your personal information in a log of all your location data to be, uh, you know, leaked to people without your best interest at heart, um, that's a different sort, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and, and uh, again, we don't have the, we don't really have an option uh, to opt out at this point. Mm-hmm. You make recommendations for someone going into this election season with <clears throat> what should you be watching out for? Um, you know, how, what, is it is it likely to be able to 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 notice the the most suspicious material that you might see out there? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, what is what is that answer <laughs> for people? Oh, you know, I mean, it's kind of complex. First thing I, I want people to understand is that um, a lot of disinformation is not about getting you to believe specific things. You know, in fact, classic Russian disinformation isn't really about at all right you know propaganda try you know very often propaganda you know can be thought of as a form of marketing right um and very often propaganda wants you to believe certain things they want you to believe this person did this and um you know this person's a horrible person for these for these reasons Uh, what a lot of disinformation wants to do is is just make you cynical about everything Mm -hmm. you know because the idea is to really decrease your engagement when we look at um, the effects of, uh, say, Facebook, uh, um, disinformation and misinformation on Facebook in 2016, um, effects are not necessarily on changing belief. The effects, if you look at, say, the targeted uh, states, are depressing black turnout because of a vague feeling that you know Hillary Clinton really isn't there for my it's just a vague feeling. It's like there's a whole bunch of stuff buzzing around. Some of it seems pretty bad. Some of it seems okay. Like who can really know, right? And this is, uh, you know, this is if you're, you know, familiar uh, with um, uh, Hannah Arendt's, uh, you know, talk about totalitarianism. Uh, this is this is her point as well um, that you know. 
the disinformation in these cases is about a number of things, but one of the things it's about is just destroying the information space as a vehicle for information, you know, so that, that anything you communicate now is suspect. Right. Anything that you uh, put out there uh, uh, is suspect. No one believes anything. And if no one believes anything, if you remove this idea of truth or credibility, you know, from from the public space, you're left with power. That's all that's left. And uh, and if you're left with power, that's a really good position for authoritarians to be in because they can say simply say, hey, I have the power to do what you want me to do. Let's go do it. Right. And there's not anything else, not any sort of countervailing force. Well, yeah, but isn't that, you know, didn't you say something else before? <laughs> uh, isn't that, uh, doesn't that hurt the, none of, none of the, the, the objections you would raise are, become plausible. So it kind of clears the path for totalitarianism. So one of the things to people, um, overall, try to avoid cynicism uh, because it, it's really cynicism that's the biggest, uh, I think the biggest threat. Um, and um, if, if what, Online is depressing your engagement or your your w- willingness to engage, uh, you know, with um, you know our democracy and civil society. Um, you know, uh, you know, kind of recalibrate, right? As far as far as specific uh, misinformation, um, uh, I think uh, most of what we'll see is a lot of people think that of this model that is the fake news model that is like paper detailing the fake fire that you know Hillary Clinton lit you know uh, to silence the fake FBI agent and and uh, while that will be around not really the model and it hasn't been the model for a long time and it may be that that specific model of absolutely fabricated news from fabricated sources and again I'm not saying it's going away but it may be that the impact of that specific is sort of a historical anomaly um, that was brought about by technical and social factors for a very brief a period of time. The, what we see now increasingly um, is what we saw before. It's kind of a return to decontextualization as the method of, of disinformation. So you take something that was done, you, you pull it out, and I'll talk a little bit today about this. Uh, you, you pull it out of context, you know, sort of you atomize it, uh, and then you throw it into a narrative, a larger narrative that completely changes uh, the nature of, of it. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the method that I think uh, was very effective for uh, 2016, and I think it, it, we were sort of returning uh, to that method. And so, so a lot of people are fighting the last war on this. Um, I want people to think about um, this element of context um, and the ways in which things are being decontextualized, recontextualized, assimilated into these um, broader but often ill-fitting narratives. There's something, you know, something interesting. When we were talking about cynicism, it reminded me of the discussions we were having uh, probably from a decade ago on back about <clears throat> what the effects of things like The Daily Show and The Colbert Report were going right, to be, right. because there was this, and, and there were, the, I always that there were two parts to it because one was the possibility it might increase cynicism mm-hmm. but the other was it was making people hyper aware of how media works yeah. and that was great yeah, that, yeah. that you know that that was happening well and, and so and i think we you know irony is not necessarily cynicism and that's that's a that's a i mean it's a, it's a good debate to have there's a there's a book out um by uh, dana young um which is on my reading list i, I i've only uh listened to uh some of her uh interviews and uh, um, read some of her talking about it, but it's called Irony and Outrage. Uh, and, you know, it, it not only does it make the case that, that uh, the liberal side of, you know, the equation expresses things through irony and the conservative side uh, expresses that through outrage, but as Dana herself has, has told me, I should read it because it explains why that's true and why these two different, um, why these two different, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to call or two different sides of the spectrum, um, you know, sort of process things in these in these different uh, in these different ways. And so, I, you know, I think both irony and outrage are you know can be. Useful. Um, I do think that there's certain types of irony 
that um you know can be corrosive right and it's it's about the difference there, there was a show that was funded by rt that was sort of this uh, during 2016 um i think it's still on actually uh called redacted tonight i don't know if you've ever seen this thing it's kind of fascinating to look at uh but it's, it's like a it's like a daily show knockoff with this uh comedian who's an american comedian uh who is is paid to do this uh, sort of rt show about you know ha 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 isn't america completely corrupt you know mm-hmm. isn't the democratic party completely corrupt uh, you know, and, and it kind of engages in this sort of conspiracy, uh, you know, theorist uh, mindset of, uh, you know, making sort of side eye jokes about, you know, um, you know, missing miss in the Arizona primary and things like that. You know, so so that stuff can veer, I think, over uh, to this cynicism um, and be redirected in that way. But I, I, I think there's also a place. For, for irony, people have to process this, um, and uh, you know this world that we're living in, and uh, you know they they need tools to do that without um, you know losing their mind. Right. Yeah. There's. It's interesting. Also, to the, I was thinking about RT a little bit earlier because the, there was this combination when I because I first was seeing it in like hotel rooms and stuff, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it was actually first of all pretty entertaining because they got really good people, but it was this really interesting combination of things that definitely felt propaganda. Yeah. And then other things that were actually just pretty much insightful, progressive analysis yeah. of what was going on yeah. because it had this kind of anti-corporate thing built into a lot of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so that was a really interesting. Yeah. So and that's it's kind of a standard strategy. Um, the so you know uh, Putin and, and and his government have um, you know understood for a long time that that that. In politics, um, their best route to sort of creating, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of discord they want to see in the U.S. is to split the is to split the left, right? And as a matter of fact, people I keep getting this wrong. People, I mean, there's a lot of disinformation that really intensifies um, beliefs on the right wing, and that's and that's certainly out there. And believe me, different state actors, including involved with propagating that and, and trying to intensify that um, but but the clearest strategic route uh, to creating discord in the US is that the American left is a very big ten party um, that has a lot of internal conflict intentions already right if you can split the left if you can split that coalition right um, you you end up with uh, you end up with the sort of objectives they want to see and so uh, what any uh, you know propagandist or even Instagram influencer would do, which is they figured out what liberals uh, would like to see. They put that somewhere uh, that liberals, you know, where liberals could access stuff that they had been wanting to see, but they they couldn't see it. And then you know within that they start to push these narratives. And so as I was talking about you know fake publications and and, and so forth, everybody has sort of this idea that that's where um, this is coming from but some of the more you know common ways um, that you know we, we've gone back to the older ways are um, to take you know largely legitimate or things that have a veneer of legitimacy and do 90% news and coverage and other things and just use the 10% to push mm-hmm. what you want and that's what we're seeing too I was talking last night about some of these pink slime publications that they discovered uh, Wisconsin and some other states, um, where they were, you know, in some ways they were fake newspapers. They were like supposed local newspapers that weren't really local newspapers, right? But most of the news they had on them was actually like real news that was sort of churned through this, uh, you know, pink slime engine and, and put on the site. And then injected in there was some really promotional stuff uh-huh. uh, for um, Republican candidates and Republican policies. Uh, and they were run by by someone that wanted to, you know, advance that cause. And so that that's a really common way to do it. It's not any different if you're if you're a Instagram influencer, right? A lot of what you do is you share, or if you're, if you're on a Twitter or, or whatever, a lot of things you do, you share with your readers. Lots of stuff they want to see, 
right? And then occasionally you push what you want to sell, mm-hmm. you know? Right. You can't push that all the time. You got to get the ratio right. Um, but just because, you know, just because, oh, we only sell things 5% of the time, that doesn't mean it's not a channel about selling things. Mm-hmm. It's completely a channel about selling things, you know? And, I, and this is like one of the things that we try to get students to understand too. There's a lot of stuff, you may see a lot of stuff that RT posts a lot of sort of viral nonsense like look these things that are cakes that aren't really cakes yeah you know cute little video well should you follow that should you share that no you shouldn't because the the ultimate agenda of that is to get you to subscribe for these uh for these things that you like so that you know over time they they have they have uh, your attention and can use that to warp your worldview mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of and, and that kind of verges into the notion of branding too, right? Because there, are the, the turn that's going on in the whole media sphere that I see um, makes it very difficult to identify brands over any kind of a long period of time. Yeah, and so this this is this is when I talk about like our that uh, the sort of twenty sixteen phenomenon. Um, one of the things that's going on is the brand is Facebook, right? The brand is Twitter. Right, and and the the brands within that are are less obvious, right? And we think less about our allegiance to them as we subscribe, right? So if you had the go and you had to individually subscribe to all of these things, it would be a, a much sort of different process. You'd have much different uh, criteria, right? But because the brand is really Facebook, it tends to hide elements of the right you tend in some ways uh you know one of the bigger dangers is you at the end of the day you don't even remember where you saw the thing from right. you just remember people were kind of talking about this and that whether that was rt or nbc news is not something you've stored mm-hmm. that was my favorite example with that was uh that i kind of of course we all suffer from these and i like catching myself having bought into something and yeah. going oh how did that happen yeah. how did i buy into it one of them was uh, parthenogenic crayfish and if you remember but there was this appeared that was about crayfish that were basically generating its own young without sexual reproduction uh-huh. and and i'm i put it into a presentation i was going to do and then i'm like you know i don't know if that's like a real thing yeah. and so then i had to go back yeah as we to and find out if that really was a real thing, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like the Gorilla Channel, the Pizza Game, you know, all these things that. Well, and, and there's there are some psychological mechanisms. I said, you know, I I said it at the um, you know, top of the program, or maybe it was in the in our, our pre discussion that uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of. I don't like this idea that there are some sort of insurmountable like brain bugs that we'll never overcome. But there are, you know, there are definitely you know cognitive. Uh, patterns that that advantage that and uh, you know, one of the things that we find is that truth and familiarity are really much more intertwined than we think right so people kind of think oh I you know I think of their brains as something where oh I have a bunch of things that are categorized as brain right mm-hmm. and that's how I figure out what's true uh, but it's not it doesn't really work like that at all I mean the, the way that you know someone asks you hey is this true like if I say you know um, Hey, is uh, you know is parthenogenic crayfish? Do they really do their own young? You know, um, you don't act. All as you know is I think I heard something like like yeah. I've heard that before. And if you think you've heard it before and it's not followed by a negative feeling like oh I associate that uh, with uh, with there's something something iffy about it though, right? It's true. It's true as mm-hmm. far as as far as you're concerned. And so part of what we're trying to do with students. Is as they read those things, we want them to to do quick verification uh, on because if they don't, right? If they don't, if they let it go by, even if they don't share it, they just sort of let it go by unquestioned, and it's something that that is is significant. Um, it, it slowly becomes normal. It slowly becomes familiar. Over time, it becomes true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that kind of creepy process of how things become normalized yeah. rather than being interrogated. Yeah. We haven't really talked about your <laughs> approach to this. <laughs> no, we haven't. And we probably should at least mention <laughs> yeah. the rough outline. Yeah. Uh, uh, of course, listening, um, finding Mike's stuff online is fairly simple. We'll make sure to put in the notes where you can uh, see his, his plan for helping to keep yourself kind of uh, uh, in control of your media environment. But what, how would you, what's your, you've probably got your elevator speech for. I would oh, imagine. 
crouching you know, down. I, <laughs> but I maybe w- you're I sick wish, of it. I wish. I wish. I mean, that's the problem with elevator speeches. You get, kind of get sick of them. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not wired uh, to do it. But if, if I was to try to, you know, sort of nutshell it, uh, I, um, the approach is uh, we, a lot of people focus on critical thinking, focus on sort of deep interrogation of, of texts. Um, and we don't that, and that's not to say that that stuff isn't important. That's not to say that when you see something, you shouldn't think deeply about the arguments it's making and so forth. But before you even do that, there's a, there's a process that people are missing and that's that you need to get the correct, um, context of, of what you're looking at. You need, before you start to engage with it. You need to understand where it's from. You need to understand who produced it, what their, what their agenda or purpose might be. Uh, if there's a claim there, you probably want to know sort of status of that claim. Is there is there sort of a consensus for it among professionals? Consensus against it? Doesn't mean you have to accept the consensus, but it does mean before you engage with it, you should understand. You know, am I engaging with a fringe idea or am I engaging with some? kind of down the center, you know, and uh, and as you engage with it, you should understand, you know, sort of where you are in the discourse universe. And so we focus on the, our, our methodology is called SIFT, right? Stop, uh, investigate the source, trusted coverage, uh, and trace claims, quotes, media to the original context. And, and these are short, um, 30 second, 90 second, two minute things you can do that kind of ground you in a context uh, that can inform your engagement. And in most cases, what you find out is the thing is probably not worth engaging right. with, yes. right? So it's sift in that way too, right? That you're you're actually doing these quick checks to see, is this worth my attention or not? And, mm-hmm. that, and that's, that's probably the second piece is this, is that um, it is a literacy around attention uh, because you know, we talk about RT, um, and you know, we can go back and is this story about RT true or is this story, you know, this is this, this, this story that RT pushes true, is this story false? If this story is true, why, would, why wouldn't you share it? You know, why are you, why are you getting on my case for sharing an RT story? Can you point to something that's wrong? Um, attention is really the scarcity now, right? And information is not the scarcity. And this uh-huh. has been true a while. Herbert Simon talked about this in the, the early 70s. Um, attention is the scarcity, and that means that we need literacies that help us not only um, uh, figure out how to apply deep attention, but to quickly figure out what we should be applying our deep attention to. And right. if we don't do that, we will be gamed endlessly. Yeah, and you run out of time. And you run out and, of time. And you can't yeah. do that all the yeah. time. It's one of the things I, I like about the approach is that it actually, you know, if you remember in The Simpsons when Homer about uh, beer being both the cause of and solution to <laughs> yeah. all his problems. Yes. <laughs> there's 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 a there's a kind of a beauty to the approach because it actually works because of the same efficiencies that created the problem in the first place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah. The, the fact that you can do that, if you can commit the time and attention to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of beautiful. Well, and, and this is one of the um, focuses to, I used to feel so bad about saying the term focuses because I'm like, there can't be more than one single focus. <laughs> and then should I say, should I say, yeah. or something? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't feel bad about saying focus. Anyway. I think as soon as you say the word foci, people's eyes glaze <laughs> over. And, right, right. They're just right. They're like, Are you just talking about calculus? <laughs> or, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the, uh, really focus on is honing these down to their absolute minimum, right? Um, so one of the reasons people don't apply this stuff is they think it's, they think it's hard or it's going to be time consuming, right? And so it, you know, it, if you think about, um, if you think about, you know, uh, I often use the metaphor of, of driving a car, right? I mean, there's lots of things you, you know, if you're about to switch lanes in your car, um, you can get into a whole, you know, conversation in your head of, you know, have I passed anybody recently? Like, you know, how open, how uh, congested is the traffic? Like, is it is there a likelihood that there's, you know, a car next to me or not? You can go through this whole critical thing. Um, but you can also just check your mirrors and then, you know, if you, if you need to, you know, do an over-the-shoulder check and, mm-hmm. um, uh and just do that. And, and, and so what we tell people when we you know, teach them how to drive cars is we don't give them a 20-minute process to figure out, hey, when you're 
switching lanes is, is someone in the next lane because no one's going to do that. But we tell them, look, here's the basics. You, you just got to, you just got to do these very simple things. Mm-hmm. An example of investigate the source, and we'll show this in uh, today's presentation. Um, example of investigate the source is just, if you're, on, uh, if you're on Twitter, like hover over the profile name before, if you don't know this person, yeah. hover over the profile, just see who they are. <laughs> And literally, I have a slide in the presentation I'll be giving today here, um, which shows this process. I had to slow it down by like a factor of, uh, you know, three three or four, you know, um, it's it's so quick, Mm -hmm. you know, and yet people aren't told to do that. People don't build that as a habit. And, And so when we're talking about these things, we're talking about... You know, we call the the SIF stuff the moves, right? Um, and so these are the basic things you're confronted with. What can you do to make sure that you know where you've landed, you know, in the discourse universe? Um, and then we have these techniques, and the techniques go from very simple to, you know, if you start to get to a point where, hey, this is, you're, you're going to have to do bigger investigation. But mm-hmm. you can resolve uh, simple stuff rather quickly and and for stuff that requires a deeper investigation, you're kind of off on the right foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I found that through doing like reverse image searches and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Like learning all sorts of interesting, <laughs> well, weird you do. things. You do. Even when, even when the thing turns out to be true, yeah. you end up learning much more of the context around it and just being more sort of informed about the, the, the meaning mm-hmm. right of it. So, um, whether, you know, it's, it's not just, oh, well, it, this will all be wasted if it's not fake. You, you actually, uh, you actually end up, I, I think on a much better route, mm-hmm. um, for, for deeper investigation. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have just a little bit of time left. Do yeah. we have time to talk about? <laughs> yes. Well, we got two, we have two things left to talk about, okay. fortunately, yeah. but go ahead. Yes. The circle. Okay, wait, I'm trying to end on a happy note, which okay. might my, my, my No, I was going to, I was going yeah, to go, go in that direction. Go, okay, go you ahead. want me to go? Yeah, okay. Go okay. So I, I know you tweeted uh, uh, maybe about a week and a half ago oh, about Witcher. Oh, yes, okay. I did. And I, I was, and uh, it was so, so, so Witcher <laughs> is this thing, this yeah. TV program that's based on a series of Polish novels. Yeah. And, has, and you were like. This is amazing, yeah. and and so I wanted to make sure while we had you here to make sure to give you a, a moment to to pontificate <laughs> to about, about Witcher, Witcher. <laughs> because it because it is kind of it's like this it, it's sort of like uh, the the way that who are watching it now are talking about it is a, it's sort of like Lord of the Rings if you want to be in a really grungy context instead yeah, of yeah like like a like a you know. Like, I, I don't know like Lord of the Rings with like Kurt Cobain at the center right. or something. <laughs> You know, yeah. like imagine just Lord of the Rings, but like your your main character is like Kurt Cobain with a sword, just like right. I, I guess I have to. It's like a, it's like a world emptied yeah, of yeah, cute. Yeah, there's no cute. Yeah, there's no there's no cute in it. I mean, I I think that's I think that's the sort of thing. It it, it is sort of be fantasy. I'm yeah. not, you know, it, it, there's ways in which you're not necessarily you're not. It's not going to be high art. You know, it makes no pretenses to that. But. Um, so, so know that going in. This is not Game of Thrones or something like that. There's not really a whole bunch of things I think you're going to learn from it. But yeah, it, it, it does, it has, it's fantasy without a lot of the cute, but at the same time, it's not, I, I think this is what I like about Witcher. And, and, and this is probably going to be my most controversial opinion on this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is what I like about Witcher is that the fantasy world often splits off into these two genres, and one is sort of one is sort of cute, mm-hmm. and one is sort of absolute sort of horror and gore. Yeah, you know. Um, and if you look at Game of Thrones, it world there through the genius of George R. R. Martin that was very sociopolitical, right? But right. but that's sort of out there. Um, Witcher finds a different world too, but it does it by um, a world which is uh, which is not. Um, with obsessed with gore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, is sort of emptied of cute. And like I said, the the main character is 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 sort of, um, uh, you know, he's gonna do his job, but he's just kind kind of like he's just always kind of a little put. It, right, you know, yeah. and I, 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 I enjoy that. There was something very authentic about the fact that as he's moving around into these various communities, you sort of feel the sense of isolation that's, you know, fairly true for a historical period. Even in Game of Thrones, it really felt like, you know, oh, yeah. Internet yeah. because everybody knew everything all the time, yeah. and they would come up with these convenient Raven explanations for yeah. how things got communicated, which really yeah. didn't hold well, up. Well, you, you see their little information network with the uh, with the with the songs that the um, that the bard is 
that completely, of course, are misinformation. Right. You know, and I do have to say, um, uh, toss a coin to the Witcher is a bop, and yes. you should listen to toss a coin to the Witcher. <laughs> and there are lots of shirts with that on it now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for indulging me in that conversation. Oh, I appreciate that's, that's, it. That's fine. Um, okay, so um, so Mike and I have been watching this television show, and I want to pitch you the idea that this actually magically pulls everything together. Okay. Um, oh, so here's the like, premise. Like a circle. Right, exactly. Here's my uh, mic's going in and out. I think it's better. There we go. <clears throat> um, okay, so here's the premise of The Circle, Ralph. Okay. I should probably admit to I'm completely ignorant of this until yes, I mentioned yes, it earlier. Yeah, so. this is why we're excited to tell you about it. So it is a Netflix show. It's based off of a UK show. It's been adapted for the US. Um, uh, and it takes place in an apartment in which eight contestants are living. It's a social uh, social reality television. So social strategy reality, reality television show is how I would categorize it. Um, so eight people that are apartment building all in separate apartments but the only way that they can communicate with each other is through this social network that's called the circle uh and basically its main functions is like it's got like a main chat room and then you can also have like private chats and group chats and i mean you don't it's voice activated right so you're only getting text and they also give you emojis and what happens is i don't know how often they but every other episode or so, you rank the contestants based off of how much you like them uh-huh. uh, from one to eight. And then the top two become influencers. <laughs> and the influencers get to ban whoever they want from oh, the circle. Uh-huh. And then someone else sort of takes, takes their place. So how do you how do you feel about this? Well, it sounds like a, a combination <laughs> of uh, kind of like how Boy Scouts work with um, a, a little bit of uh, black mirror thrown in yeah right so the <laughs> rating really system <laughs> which i kind of i kind of like that idea so this sounds this is something i would watch this sounds this is because you know i because i'm, I'm about to run out of mr robot oh yeah i have to say sadly yes yeah. i love mr robot it's it's like it's the whole paranoid world i imagine that yeah. reality really is if yeah. you could just scratch the paint off but Here, here's my best pitch for it can be interesting is that um we all we all live in this these virtual spaces right where mm-hmm. we we watch that we, we live in these spaces where this kind of stuff takes place and you have interactions with people that you never meet we really only get ever get to see the end result of like what the information is it gets putting out there what's interesting about watching this and watching sort of them cameras and them living in the apartments is they often will talk through their process process thought process of well if i this way then they might you know interpret it this way which would not be the way that i want to i'm or i'm trying to build a relationship this you know this way and that's really what's interesting about it is watching someone's strategy for how that they're trying to play the game you know everyone's got a different strategy whether their their goal is to you know i want them to like me more so they will you know bump me up in the ratings while someone else's strategy might just be i'm just trying to flirt with someone you know and that's my angle for how how i'm now the downside is is like any reality television show often it comes down to the cast you know right uh and and how they'll end up interpreting the game and i I, my guess is you could you know bring in uh several different people different age ranges and you'll have a lot of different outcomes for how how this will go right Uh, this one definitely skews more towards like the like the mtv type audience of things that you would see you know a little bit younger cast uh, who are either single or most? Actually, I'd say most of them are in relationships, but posing as single. Right. And there's that interact that that there's that interesting part of it as well is that you have the option of you know, playing the quote unquote catfish, where you decide that you know my profile picture is gonna not be me, you know, or be a friend, mm-hmm. or be a significant other, someone I know, or whatever. So that's that that's that's the interesting. Coffee. <laughs> Thought. So, so what have I thought? Well, I've only seen. I have. I'm not like a. I'm not like a fanatic like you. I haven't watched all eight, eight episodes. Yet. Okay. <laughs> uh, and there's more coming, I guess. Right. Uh, I've, but I've watched four. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of a 
show to watch, and I think one of the things that I mean, I, I, I'm going to watch it. Right. I'm going to keep watching it, but because because it's you know, I'm, I'm just curious if they're you know going to make this work. But it's kind of a boring show to watch because you know, you, you uh, it's like voice activated, as you say. Yeah activated social media and so you know they sit in their apartment and they're like uh, circle compose you know message and then they you know and then they walk <laughs> through their thought process you know and it's it's and it's funny because I think they thought well you know we're gonna have this be voice activated uh, because you know, nothing could be more boring than watching people type. But right. I think they did find something <laughs> I think they did find something more boring than watching people type. They managed, managed somehow to do that. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think you have a, a point. It is interesting to hear people's thought process as they go through these uh, through these things. And of course, it goes through the reality show uh, process right. as well. But which you know emphasizes conflict. Um, but it is it is interesting to hear the thought process of, of people and uh, and uh, <laughs> and look look at the results, which are not. Not uh, not intended. I mean, I, I, my my main issues with the show are structural, and uh, actually, my my younger daughter did the best sort of analysis of what's wrong <laughs> with the circle. She's in, in high school, and she talked. Uh, um, really, if you look at the structure of most of these uh, reality game shows, um, where you have multiple people, you kind of have these conflicting things that are set up, right? You need people uh, on your team, right? contest but at the same time those are going to be the stronger candidates and so how are you going to you know manage that um you know even on big brother of course you have the contests that people compete in and so forth and a person that's very unpopular uh maybe making the decision mm -hmm. right and so you can invest power a lot structures of can yeah power structure yeah. can, can flip over and 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 you know maybe this is one of the really realistic pieces of the circle but it it doesn't um it doesn't have aspects that are tied to any sort of you know outside reality of winning a contest or something like mm -hmm. that and so you don't actually have to you know it's it's all sort of in this sort of insular world of who's going to be the popular uh this week or every other week so or it, i mean is show. there any acknowledgement or participation from the hypothetical audience that's part of this construction not so far so in yeah. the uk version uk reality television loves bringing in the audience audience vote for everything if they can uh yeah. u.s reality seems to not like that or like not have as much like not let the audience control too much of that mm -hmm. uh and so far so the way that netflix uh releases it is they do i don't know what they call it if they call, call it batch release or something like that but basically it's this very they're doing basically four episodes per week over three weeks so it's a it's a total of a 12 episode mm, series okay and, and i think what's interesting yeah, it's so with reality with this type of reality television there are two things that you can really enjoy and one could be the strategy mm -hmm. and one can be the social aspect of it and people like yeah. getting in it because they like the characters you know and, and the people that come out of it and some people like really the strategy side of it as well um this one definitely doesn't have it doesn't feel like it has as much strategy but the you know the character part's really interesting because there's this meta level that i've kind of watched is an audience are also judging these people right mm -hmm. you know and you're judging them as, as the other contestants are on very limited information yeah and through as the as the show comes out and you learn more about people you know a certain person yeah uh it's possible that someone who you just thought had no chance in the world you know at lasting in this environment uh you know has started to endear you as well and you start rooting for them and that's really interesting to watch yourself have a similar type of uh, uh process so. is that that in these new episodes I haven't seen yet, are we seeing some some development of I, uh, of Joey? Is, I, Joe, is Joey developing? I, I think uh, Joey's definitely uh, <laughs> one of the characters yeah. that co comes out so hot. And you know, my initial and first impression of uh, of Joey. Joey's from Long Island. He is like the total. Uh, is he Long Island or is he Jersey? He, Jersey. He, he's he, from Jersey. Okay. I think, yeah. But he's he, he's as close as you could be to like a Jersey. Or bro, yeah, um, he is like the stereotype, and so it's like you know, it's like drinking sour milk for me <laughs> initially. Um, but if you know, through a lot of it, you start to you know, you you 
qualities that are that you actually really enjoy. I mean, you know, you, everyone has that friend where it's like you got to get to know them, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. And Joey's it seems to definitely yeah. be that person. But, but there are others as yeah. well. Well, that, I'm, I'm interested in uh, Miranda came in just at the yeah. end for the batch of four, and I've never seen someone bungle. <laughs> an entrance yeah. into a reality show as badly as Miranda did. I think yeah. Miranda, I'm not even sure, sure Miranda understands the goal of the show. Yeah. Like, I, I think she might think yeah. it's like Hollywood Squares or something. Yeah. That she, I, I don't, you know, so I, I'm interested to see, you know, what happens to Miranda. Have you been introduced yet to Alex, a.k.a. Adam? Was Did he get introduced in four? No. I feel like he was towards the end. Alex, aka Adam. Yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting though. Oh yes, yes, he's at the very end. Right. They just do that little sort of reality show like clip of I'm Adam. Right. And I'm going to be playing uh, this person. Yes. And it's, I don't care about anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's just... No, I mean he's he's well no he's he's in a happy life. He you know he's got a good thing going and and he just he's just there to win. Yeah. Which I like. Like you know, this is a weird show partially too because. All come in and they're like oh i just want to make you know you suppose it's like it's the cliche you're supposed to come on the show and say i'm here to win not to make friends and all these characters coming in saying i want to that makes no sense to me like no one is that dumb you win you win like a hundred grand or you don't you're not there to make friends right yeah and i'm not quite sure exactly how that ends i think you have to end up voting on who you believe is likely to be the most popular you you actually have some circle uk like knowledge here this works or I uh, no not not a, not a lot yeah but I think the ending uh, is likely to be confusing as is like it's not gonna be the most popular person who wins the hundred k yeah it's gonna be the person that you thought was not going you know to likely to be the most popular I don't know how I don't know how it ends <laughs> you don't know but it's very it. possible that like <laughs> being a very average person is the way that you bring in the money well yeah but that's I mean, also that yeah. is actually a pretty uh, driver big brother strategy yeah too, is to, yeah is well and, you know and you had a little of that in the in the the you know first uh <coughs> couple episodes where the person that was actually a model uh no one believed they were a model and so right. they, they got eliminated as a catfish <laughs> yeah so that's so that's the interesting thing is is how you decide to or to not play yourself which is again something we all do yeah. right uh online yeah. you know it's like it, the the quote-unquote hot person who wants to dial themselves back Right. Or the person who thinks that they're going to be judged by the way that they looked, and so they mm-hmm. they want to you know become you know a catfish, or there's a person who's playing as he's playing as his girlfriend, uh-huh. uh, which is really yeah, interesting. It, this almost suggests thing we do in real life. Well, that's like a, make decisions about how we're going to present ourselves right, and what right. we're going to wear and who we're going to associate with and all that. Yeah, mm, and that, yeah. That, that's that, that, that's genuinely what I find compelling yeah. about it is is sort of watching this. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. So. I, so I do want to warn people. I think this conversation has been more interesting than the show. <laughs> but you know, so, but but uh, this, this might also speak to yeah. like the level of engagement that I want with television, which is like <laughs> right, I, right, I like right. things that move slowly. <laughs> I really like I, I like media about media, yeah. which it sounds like exactly what this is. Well, so. and, and I will say because because every like. Every freaking three minutes, someone's going circle, compose, post, <laughs> like have to watch the screen right you could right. this could be this could yeah. be a radio show and you yeah, still totally. understand what the plot is so so if you know if you have some detail work you're doing like pottery or something like that you know you can yeah. have the circle on completely follow it that's a great idea yeah. to turn it into a you could run the circle podcast <laughs> it would be awesome and just put people in like conference rooms around the university i do i do think it would be fun to run at like run locally it as a really like a really accelerated version of it you know something that takes place you could, within we, like we could a day do okay so here's the plan <laughs> we take over open ed yeah okay done <laughs> done right Wait, we what? got the, we got the votes i think we already got the votes we take over open ed uh and then we build the whole thing around uh the whole event is going to be built around this this one big uh uh piece which is going to be implementation at a conference of the circle <laughs> and so you know and we'll do some presentations too and talk about textbooks and Jim will come in and do his whole yeah, thing we'll you make know, sure but, our universities will still pay yeah, so we'll make sure it'll still be completely fundable <laughs> by your state university um, yeah, there'll be, be like whatever the percentage think, whatever the percentage is we need to hit we'll hit it but 
But like a, a whole piece of this is going to be it, in the hotel rooms, right? And yeah. just in the hotel rooms, yes, go back at night. Yes. We'll be like, there is no reception. Right. <laughs> right. You're going to go back to the hotel and decide who you're going to play. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the at the end of it, uh, you. You walk out of the conference with, uh, you know, new professional connections, or you may right. walk out with a bunch of catfishes. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And and we'll we'll have a prize purse, you know, brought to you by Turn It In or something yes, like that. Yes, yes. <laughs> we can bring sponsors. Turn it in. in. Turn it in. Would love this. <laughs> this is way. This too... would be the. This would be the most. This would be. This would be the most effective, right, and socially conscious thing that Turn It In has ever done. <laughs> okay, you've revealed. Turn, turn it in is far too much. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. All right. Awesome. I'm psyched. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, th- thank you both for filling me in on the circle. I'm going to somehow f- try to figure out how to pencil that into my world and, and the idea of this artificial conference. I like that idea, <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to edit that out if, <laughs> if it works. I, no, if, if, if we convince ourselves that yeah. this is like, something we want to do. What do you mean you admitted to it? Oh, no, we, we it was never there, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for joining us. I, really I couldn't think of a better way to start the new decade than to have you here. So thank you very oh, much well, for coming you. in and talking to yeah, us. Yeah, it was my pleasure.